And as the children file out, um, we'll actually be beginning in the book of Luke today, but this will be a sermon from the book of Acts primarily. We've been studying Acts for uh, most of this year. We've had uh, Sundays where we've done other things, but we've been trying to submit ourselves as a church to some shaping themes that we see in the book of Acts, the history of the beginning of the church. And the theme this week is Scripture. And before we dive in, I would like to pray once more just to ask for God's help. Would you pray with me once again before we, before we start the sermon? Father, I just have two requests based on what we're going to see in these passages. Would you please open your scriptures to us, and would you open us to your scriptures? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Next week's going to be our final theme that we're going to look at, and then we're going to turn our attention toward Easter. We by no means will have covered everything in the book of Acts, but I feel like it's been good, and I feel like it'll be time to go ahead and move forward together. To get into this theme of Scripture in the book of Acts, how they used Scripture, how they viewed Scripture— We need to first try to put ourselves in the context of what was going on then. We need to try to identify ourselves with those early followers of Jesus Christ. So imagine that you're one of those followers. You came along sometime during his three-year public ministry, and you saw him do miracles and healings and casting out demons, and you heard his authoritative teaching— teaching like nobody else ever taught with the authority of God himself. And seeing all this, you devoted your entire self to following him in faith, that he was indeed the Messiah that the Jews, your fellow Jews, had been waiting for for centuries. But then Jesus was arrested, drug away, beaten, publicly mocked and crucified and buried in a tomb. And just try to imagine how demoralized you would be. To, to get yourself there emotionally, it would be as if some discovery came about that seemed to disprove everything that you thought you knew to be true from the Bible. How your whole reality would be shaken and turned upside down. But then you start to hear these reports that people have seen Jesus and he's actually alive. You don't know how that could be. You, you want it to be true. It seems too good to be true. You haven't seen him yet for yourself. Now imagine you and a friend, you're, you're walking to a nearby town. This is ancient Israel, so there, there are not cars or anything. You're walking with a friend, a fellow follower of Jesus, and you're just discussing these things. Going back through, what happened? What did you hear? Did you hear this report about people having seen him alive? This was the case for a man named Cleopas, excuse me, Cleopas and a friend. They were walking along heading to another town, discussing all these things, trying to hang on to some hope, very, very sad. And it's one of the most bizarre stories in the Scripture. Jesus himself walks up beside them and joins them, only they're kept from recognizing him. So they're walking along, and the risen Jesus comes along beside them and starts asking them questions, and they don't know who he is. And he just sort of strolls up. I would picture him with his hands in his pockets, all casual. What are you all talking about? Well, we're talking about everything that happened with Jesus of Nazareth. What do you mean? What happened with Jesus of Nazareth? Are you crazy? 
Are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about all this with Jesus, how he was crucified, how there were riots, how there were all this going on? We thought he was going to be the Messiah. He was our hope for the restoration of Israel, and then he was killed. But then added to all that, there are people reporting that he's alive. How have you not heard about these things? And then Jesus responds to him in Luke chapter 24, verse 25. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, they still don't know it's Jesus. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Torah, this is, this is what we consider the Old Testament scriptures. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So to them, this stranger says, don't you know the scriptures? Let me explain it to you. And he starts with Moses, starts from the beginning of, of the Hebrew scriptures and interprets them everything that had to be true about himself. And then later, as they're discussing what happened together, this is how they interpret it. Or this is how they describe it. In verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Didn't our hearts burn within us? See, at this point, at verse 32, they've discovered that that was Jesus. He opened their eyes and they could tell that was the risen Jesus. And they said, weren't our hearts just like pounding and burning before we even knew it was him when he, and let's get this phrase at the end of the verse, he opened to us the scriptures. So these Jewish people familiar with the Scriptures who had even followed Jesus for part of his three-year public ministry, in some way, the Scriptures were closed to them until Jesus opened to them the Scriptures. So then they go, obviously, if you were them, you would be very excited about all this. They go immediately to the 11. It was 12 before Judas, his betrayal, and then suicide. They go to the 11, and they're, they're all talking about this, the people who've seen the risen Jesus. And they're sharing, well, we saw him, and he opened the scriptures to us. And then Jesus appeared with them. And look what he says to them in verse 44. Then he said to them, the disciples and the other followers, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So the two that were walking along the road, he opened the scriptures to them, and then here he is with them, and he opens them to the scriptures. Now, both of these are very, very important if we're going to understand scripture as a shaping theme for the church, both in the book of Acts and for us today. Somehow, these Jewish people who had been with Jesus, even the disciples themselves, the eleven, up to this point, the Scriptures had been closed to them, and they had been closed to Scripture. And then Jesus opened the Scripture up to them and opened them up to the Scriptures. Now, that's what we want and need as a church. We need this two-part opening, and we need God to do that for us. It's no good to just have one without the other. It's no good to have the Scripture open to you, but you not open to the Scripture. 
That's how you get a real academic Christianity where you know a whole lot, you can quote a lot of scripture, but it hasn't made any difference in your life. And it's really not much good for you to be open to the scripture, but the scripture not to be open to you. That's how you get sort of a gullible Christianity that just believes anything and everything if it's got a verse attached to it without any discernment about what's true. So how can we know if God has done that for us? How can you know if God has opened the Scripture to you and opened you to the Scripture? Well, there's one very important key, and this is sort of the key that unlocks the apostles' use of Scripture in the book of Acts. In opening these two portals, the Scriptures to them and them to the Scriptures, Jesus revealed that all of Scripture points to him. All of Scripture points to Jesus. That's the key that unlocks everything in terms of your Bibles. It all points to Jesus Christ. There's a famous old preacher theologian named Charles Spurgeon. He's very, very quotable. In fact, I didn't plan this. I don't have my bulletin on me, but that's the quote in the bulletin actually is from Spurgeon. I discovered after I knew I was going to mention Spurgeon. One of my favorite quotes of his, this is an aside, this doesn't have to do with the sermon, but he loved to smoke cigars. And you know, moderation is a Christian virtue. And one of his critics said, I think you smoke too many cigars. And he said, I assure you, if I ever begin smoking too many cigars, I will quit immediately. And they said, well, how will you know when it's too many? He said, whenever I'm smoking two at a time. I think about that a lot, even though I don't smoke cigars. But he has another quote that talks about what we're discussing this morning. And I think about this quote a lot, too. It says, wherever you find yourself in Scripture, from that point, beat a path to Christ. So the picture is wherever you plop down in Scripture, it's like you're in a field or in, in a jungle or in the woods. And the way to get to the meaning of that passage is to beat a path. I picture like with a machete cutting the vines, cutting the things away. Beat a path to Jesus Christ. That's how you find your way in Scripture. And that's what he opened up to these earlier followers. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not just about Jesus Christ. It points us to Jesus Christ. It's a portal to faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, without this twofold opening, Scripture's open to us, us open to Scriptures, revealing that this is to connect us in faith to Jesus Christ. We'll always be frustrated when we come to Scripture. Our biggest temptation is to come to Scripture and make it about me, make it about ourselves. But because that's not the point of Scripture, we'll never really understand it if we read it like that. We'll always be confused. So what we need is for God to do this twofold opening. Open the Scripture to us. Open us to the Scripture. Revealing to us that it is all about Jesus Christ. This view of the Scripture, this use of the Scripture, shaped the early church, as we'll see, and it needs to shape us as well. I'm just going to point out two ways that it shaped the early church. It shaped the way they thought, and it shaped the way they ministered. It shaped the way they thought and the way they ministered. 
I'll give you three quick examples of how it shaped the way they thought. Okay, I'm not going to wear you out reading a ton of Scripture. I know I've been reading a lot of Scripture. And I, I know it's, it's the Bible we all know is God's Word. It should be riveting. But some reason, when somebody reads a lot of Scripture from the pulpit, it's hard to hang with it. I understand that. So I'm, I'm going to try to go easy on you reading a ton of Scripture today. But the first example comes from Acts chapter 1. After Jesus' ascension, he says, don't do anything, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in an expanding geographic and racial territory. And so all these followers come together, and they're just sort of being together and praying together and waiting together. And in the midst of that being and waiting and praying together, Peter stands up. You know, Peter is sort of the spokesperson for the disciples, the eleven. And this is actually the first recorded thing that Peter says in the book of Acts. He's very important in this book and in the early church. But listen to the very first thing he says. Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So the first thing Peter says isn't from Peter, it's from Scripture. I've been thinking, I've been praying. And you know what? The Scripture had to be fulfilled here. And then he goes on in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, and he quotes from Psalm 69, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And, and then he quotes from Psalm 109, Let another take his office. And then from this Scripture that he remembers, he goes on to a plan in verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now, there's a, there's a lot in there that could be expounded upon, but the big idea is they're praying together, they're processing all this that has been going on, they're processing what, all this that happened with Judas. He was one of the twelve and he betrayed Jesus. Where did that come from? And Peter says, well, Scripture can guide us here. That, need, that had to happen to fulfill Scripture. And based on these Scriptures that are coming to mind, we need to select a twelfth to replace him. And you can see how this opened-up view of Scripture that it points to Jesus Christ guided their thinking about this matter of Judas and replacing the twelfth apostle. Another example, in Acts chapter 4, Peter, just released after being in prison for proclaiming the gospel, comes back to his church family, and they're so excited that he's back. And here they are, they're processing what's going on. They're going out as witnesses, but they're encountering opposition. People are against them. And it says, starting in verse 24, when they heard it, that everything that the chief priests and elders said to Peter, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? Here they're quoting Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, 
along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. So you can see as they're praying together, Peter's back from the first round of persecution and they're processing all this. They're thinking through it in light of Scripture that had been open to them and to which they had been opened, seeing how it all pointed to Jesus. And it helped them think through it. It even helped them pray through it in light of what was true. The third and final example of this, skipping way forward in Acts chapter 15. James and the Jerusalem Council. We haven't talked much about this, but when all the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, began to be saved through Jesus Christ, it created a lot of confusion in the church, and they needed to have a meeting. Just like we have to have meetings when we're confused as a church about what to do, they needed to meet and decide These non-Jewish Christians, do we need to make them basically Jewish? Do we need to circumcise them, or do we not? And there was a great debate about it. You've probably been part of church board meetings or annual meetings where there's great debate and back and forth. So it was at the Jerusalem Council until James speaks up. Beginning of verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brother, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written. And then he quotes Amos chapter 9. After this, I will rebuild I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So here they're dealing with this difficult issue And James stands up and says, remember the scripture. It is open to us. We are open to it. It points us to Jesus Christ, and it will help us understand what's going on here. And so he quotes from Amos, one of the prophets. And based on that, they figure out what to do moving forward in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And he goes on to describe what that would look like. So the early church viewed and used Scripture based on this dual opening that Jesus had done for them, knowing that it all pointed to Jesus, to think. They used it to think together. Now, we think. We think together as a church. But do we use Scripture in this opened-up, pointing-to-Jesus way to guide our thinking? We are so tempted when we enter board meetings and BCE meetings and deacon meetings and deaconess meetings and history committee meetings and cemetery committee meetings and even less formal meetings, we're so tempted to leave this in the car, leave this at home. We're so tempted to think that this is for teaching times and sermons and quiet time devotions, but we've got decisions to make right now. I remember a story that I heard, and I can't remember where it came from or what church it came from. If it involves any of you, I apologize, because I really can't remember. But it was a story of a board meeting where they were just dealing with one of those frustrating decisions. If you've ever served on the board, you know sometimes you can get in a knot about a decision, and you just there's differences of opinion. Nobody's mad at each other. You just can't seem to move forward because you just don't know what to do. And one board member frustratingly kept saying, well, it says right here in this section of the Bible, this, this, and this. 
And finally, another board member who just wanted to just move on said, just leave the Bible out of this. Now, from the story, I don't think that this individual really meant that. What he meant was, okay, we get it, we just have to move on. But that sentiment, I think, in an unspoken way, does kind of go with us into our decision-making as a church sometimes. And we gotta, we've got to guard against that. We've got to intentionally make sure we bring this with us to guide us in our thinking as a church. This could look like, it doesn't necessarily look like all through the meeting, people flipping through, although it could. It could look like someone saying, well, I remember I was listening to a sermon on the way to work the other day. And he was talking about this passage, and it, it made this point about what's true. And I think that could help us think about this issue. It could look like someone saying, well, in my quiet time this morning, you won't believe this, but the passage dealt directly with what we're trying to figure out right now. How to reach young people that that seem to be on the fringes of the church, or how to care for aging relatives, which is becoming increasingly a big calling many of our people have. Or it could look like looking in the concordance and saying, you know, we really need God's wisdom. What does it say about how a church should go about evangelism? Let's look for the gospel or evangelism and find some passages to guide us here. Or it could look like someone pulling out their phone and Googling, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? However it comes about, we've got to let God's word open up to us supernaturally, revealing Jesus as the point. We've got to let that guide us as a people. I wonder if we had everybody fill out a survey and I asked you, What to you is the number one issue our church needs to face right now? I wonder what you would write down. What is the number one issue our church needs to face right now? Some of you might put things going on out in the world, the the growing violence we see with mass shootings, things like that. Some of you might put more internal matters. Think about what, what you would put. And then think about a second question. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say that can guide our thinking about that matter? What does the Scripture say that could guide us moving forward in that matter? That's how we need to think as people. It helps us understand, it helps us pray, it helps us plan according to what's true. So it shaped the early church and their thinking. It also shaped their ministry. I'm going to give you five examples of this without reading anything. And you can flip through and find it later as homework. Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2 is full of Scripture. From Joel, from Psalms, from Isaiah, it's full of Scripture. Stephen, the first martyr, he was actually a deacon But after he was proclaiming the gospel, they came, they're really upset with him. And all of Acts chapter 7 is him outlining from the beginning biblical history, scriptural history of who who God's people were. That was basically all he said was just, he wasn't quoting scripture directly the whole time, although he did. But he was just walking them through the scripture. Philip, you remember the story about Philip when he is taken to the Ethiopian eunuch And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Scripture but doesn't understand it. And Philip says, hey, what are you reading? And then he starts there with him in the book of Isaiah. 
and gets to the gospel with him. And then Paul, you can see two examples of Paul using scripture in ministry. Chapter 13, he's in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews from scripture. In chapter 28, the Jews come to him and he's trying to convince them of Jesus from the scripture. Now, interestingly, and here's another aside, when he's in Athens and he's not dealing with Jewish people, he's dealing with people that have no regard for the Jewish scriptures. He actually does not quote scripture. Instead, he quotes their poets, which I just think is an interesting thing to note. Scripture has a central place when we're ministering to people who believe this is God's word. And in the Bible Belt, most people actually probably do think that this is God's word, whether they actually believe it in a way that makes them want to live by it or not. So in our context, we should be using a lot of Scripture. The sermons should be based in Scripture and not my ideas. If I begin to preach from my ideas, I need you to come to me gently. Don't just punch me in the face after the service, but I need you to come to me and confront me about it. Our teaching from Sunday school needs to come from the Scriptures, not our Sunday school teachers' ideas. Conversation at house to house needs to be based on the Scriptures. Conversations in which it's just informal and we're building each other up in Christ, that needs to be based on God's Word. Our evangelism needs to be based on God's Word, the Scriptures. The books you read, Christian books, they need to be based in Scripture, not those authors' ideas. Counseling, if, if you seek counseling, which I think is good and wise, but you need counseling that is based on God's Word or else it, it will be misguided. How can we know? How can we know if our ministry is built on God's Word? Two questions. Do we use Scripture? And do we use it in light of the fact that it points people to Jesus, not themselves? God created each and every person that is in here and that you're going to meet in his image. He did it very carefully. Everybody's valuable and has worth. However, and you can see this looking at the news, we are all deeply and horribly flawed by sin. It's a horrible infection that spreads to every single person who is born. And that sin messes up our lives, but it doesn't only mess up our lives, it cuts us off from God because he's holy. And he can't be in relationship with uh, a filthy, with sin person. And so that is the number one problem for every human that you're ever going to meet. Disconnected from God due to sin. Now that's going to lead to a bunch of other problems for all of us. It, It may, you know, I've shared with you before, for me, often my... Issues have to do with like anxiety and things like that, but it'll lead to all kinds of different things for different people. But the core problem is we are detached from God, our creator, because of our sin. Now, God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way. He sent his son, Jesus, who lived perfectly, the only one who ever did, who lived with no sin. And he gave his life on the cross. And his death on the cross was as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. 
to remove the certificate of guilt from us and to wash us and cleanse us. So he took on the cross all the punishment that our sins have earned for us. And anybody who will trust in him and give their lives to him in faith will receive that forgiveness and in Jesus will be fully renewed, fully cleansed, fully brought back into relationship with our holy God and Father. And he didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He actually arose from the grave in the resurrection, which we'll celebrate very clearly in the coming weeks with Easter. And he's alive. So he's our Savior crucified for our sins, and he's our Lord alive for us to follow. Everything starts there as Christians. Everything points back to that. We must never step away from it and move away from it. And the right use of Scripture will always be reconnecting us to that. And as we're reconnected to that, through God opening the Scriptures to us and us to the Scriptures, we can find guidance and wisdom to think well together as Christians. We can find power to minister well in Jesus' name. So my prayer as we complete this theme, shaping theme in the book of Acts, is that we will be opened up in that way, that the Lord would open the Scriptures to us and us to the Scriptures, revealing that Jesus is the point of it all and pointing us to relationship of faith and allegiance to Him. And that it will shape us, that it will shape our thinking, and it will shape how we go about ministering together as a church. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for pointing us back to Him this morning. Lord, you've taught us what it looks like to be shaped by the right view and use of your word. But maybe even more importantly, you have pointed us back to Jesus. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here. You know our hearts and our situations that you would indeed point us back to Jesus. For some of us, that may look like conviction of sin, areas in which we need to repent and come to you based on Jesus' blood on the cross and ask for forgiveness and freedom, cleansing, restored right relationship with you and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us who just may feel beaten down and worn out can go back to the cross through your word and receive that rest that he promised, the rest of being your sons and knowing that even though we may be freaked out, there may be a lot that we don't understand, Through Jesus, you're our Father, and you're not freaked out. You're at peace, and your peace can guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Maybe for some of us, it's a return to the cross to be renewed in our energy and our sense of calling among our co-workers and our community, our families. Lord, I pray that you would in every way open your scriptures to us and us to your scriptures. Point us to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.